This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring food for the eyes, how the art and culinary worlds collide. It's incredibly elaborate. It's a feast for the eyes, a banquet dinner with garnished ham, turkey, and an array of accompaniments. We shot uh, baguettes with, like, paint dripping off of them with the blue, white, and red from the French flag. Oh, what did the student tell me? They said, the camera eats first. And it's so true. It's so true. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Lindsay Boyd, co-founder of The Laundress, the company that's been elevating laundry with non-toxic detergents since 2004. Since the beginning, Lindsay has been at the helm of sales, marketing, branding, product and scent innovation, and e-commerce initiatives. She's behind brand collaborations and partnerships, as well as building relationships with end consumers and retailers. Last year, the laundress was sold to Unilever, giving Lindsay and her co-founder, Gwen, the resources they need to expand even further. And last year, Lindsay was named a member of Inc. Magazine's 2019 Female Founders 100. Um, I am so psyched you're here. This is one of those things where everyone knows I do a little bit of like a deep dive of like research. Like I'm writing a paper kind of for like the week before the podcast and I feel like I have such a great thesis for this paper. I'm so sorry to like see if it matches yours. Um, but basically the gist is like, I think you've been ahead of your time for a very long time, um, understanding the way that consumers interact with their products and kind of, um, I don't know, sort of setting up what a lifestyle brand, quote unquote, means. Because um, you've been doing this since 2004. Yeah, almost 16 years um, now, yeah. And you just, they're, like, this whole episode is just going to be like, you were the first people to do this, and you were the first people to do mm-hmm. that. And um, so I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you for having yeah. me. <laughs> um, so where'd you grow up? What'd you want to be? I know you started your career in fashion, so obviously that seems to maybe have been a passion of yours. Yes. Early on. Um, that was definitely a passion of mine early on in college and high school, college, but actually I grew up in upstate New York mm-hmm. in upper Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am kind of a farm girl, kind mm-hmm. of country girl <laughs> at heart, um, with, a, with the love for the city, of course. Um, but I always wanted to be a vet, actually. You are <laughs> so. not the first person that has said that. So completely. Yeah. And, and I, and my eight-year-old says the same thing. Yeah. So it's interesting. I guess it's just my love for yeah. animals, um, which so I still have. Were you, did you, so when you were nine, that was like, I'm going to be a vet. And yes, when did and, it and very, very, I mean, really up until high school and thinking mm-hmm. about, I, I actually went to, originally went to college to be a marine biologist. So oh, wow. I, it was the science. So thinking about the laundress now and sort of the science behind it, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah. No, it all, I love people's stories because they always fit somehow. Exactly. Um, And so did you go, because I know you, you met Gwen, your Uh co-founder at this Cornell. Yes. And um, at human ecology. Yes. Textile science. And was that, did you go to college for that or did you? No, I, I, I originally went to school for the science, for sciences and for marine biology. And, um, I minored in Spanish. Right. I mean, it was like, it's, it's funny how I always tell people, it doesn't matter what you major in in college. It just doesn't. Also, I mean, (laughs) I majored, I I was a double major in history and religion and I'm not sure what I, 
like what I thought I was going to do with that exactly. Right. But it was what interested me. It ended up kind of making sense. Sure. You know, like it always does. But yeah. so then how did you end up in that textile program? So I ended up in the textile program. Actually, a friend of mine um, from growing up was in that program. And it was something I, I started thinking about taking classes at night in fashion. And I really love design. After graduation? Um, No, just in the evening, like during college and thinking about, and I thought, okay, maybe this whole marine biology science thing is not for me. Right. (laughs) Um, I thought I would be playing with dolphins and swimming with dolphins, but it turns out I'm really just in a lab coat a lot. Um, So while I had a real emphasis, so the textile science piece of it was really fascinating to me. And obviously, um, well, not obviously, but I have a very strong interest in business. And so that kind of just is where I ended up. Um, was it, so it was not, was it a Cornell like separate program? So it's, well, actually, um, hum, it, it's part of the human ecology school. So it's, it's, it's a degree, right. um, textile fiber science is what it's called. <laughs> That's the department. So and they had, there's an emphasis on either design or business. Right. So I, I, my business partner, Gwen, had a design emphasis, and right. I was more on the sales and business side. And you guys had an idea for a company even when you were in the program, but then decided not to pursue Yes, it. actually, right out of college, right when we graduated. Um, so Gwen being in design and me having the, the sales hat um, or business focus, we had an idea of, of designing a clothing line. That was really when Scoop... Big Drop, all of uh-huh. those stores, you know, the, that heyday during yeah. that time, contemporary fashion was becoming... Like Intermix, I feel exactly, like. Exactly, yeah. exactly, Intermix. And so we thought, okay, great. You'll. She had a very good eye with design, so she would design the outfits. I would model and sell them. That was like, <laughs> that was what we were going to do. That was our okay. big idea. All right. So after we started designing and thinking about it, we thought, ah, maybe we should get some real experience in corporate right. um, before we jump into anything. Right. So a few years went by, and um, we had our corporate experience. Gwen was at Ralph Lauren, and I was at Chanel. And what you were doing, so you were doing the sales business side at Chanel. So like, what does someone yes. do in that job? Like, what, so, right. what did you do? <laughs> oh, it was such a fabulous job. Yeah. Um, I got to go to Paris a lot and go yeah. to all the runway shows. That's kind for, of That was number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I worked, I actually sold the collection to the Chanel boutiques as well as stores such as Bergdorf Goodman, Nima Marcus, Nordstrom. So right. we would actually have to train. L- we'd learn about the collection, yeah. um, learn about the inspiration, learn about the fabrics. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Um, you really, you know, really digging deep into the artisanal, right. the craftsmanship of, of Chanel and um, all of that. And so we would sell to the buyers right. at these department stores, um, and then we would also do trunk shows in the stores, so selling to the end consumer. Right. Okay. So during that time, actually, I would get a lot of customers saying, how do I care for this jacket? <laughs> right. Or the dry cleaner's ruining this item. I don't want to buy it. because." Right. And they'd say, they, they weren't worried about the fact that it was super expensive. Whatever. Yeah. $5,000 and up. They were concerned about the dry cleaner. Well, it's so interesting because if I think about a Chanel jacket, I think about like that, like nubby, Mm -hmm. maybe it has like some sort of like, I don't know, gossamer. Yeah. The lame threading. Thing going on. I would (laughs) definitely not know what to do with that. I mean, and the buttons. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing that that was, because you could have ended up working at Calvin Klein Sure. You know, which sure. has other things to get cleaned, but not quite as like troublesome from like a cleaning perspective right. as Chanel. And I actually washed my Chanel jackets. I would throw them in the washing machine. I'd be able to tell my clients that, don't worry, you can wash that. Or actually, you can get that stain out before you bring it to the dry cleaner because I didn't want to take, I didn't want to have them at this point in time when we were, before we even had the collection, I didn't want to tell them to do something when I didn't have the right products. Right, right, right. To really guide them and educate them. Yeah. Um, But that was really a big part of the inspiration because I was hand washing a lot of my things at home because I knew from the textile education. That you could. That you could. And And we were... Spending a lot of money at the dry yeah, cleaner, frankly, for we sure. were in our twenties, and yeah. it was ridiculous. We could 
spend that money on the sample sale. So I know that you got like a like a buying budget when you work at Chanel, but did right. they also give you a dry cleaning budget or no? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so no. It's probably to, a good thing. Yeah, well, actually, out, thank you for that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> thank you for that, Chanel. Uh, so Gwen was having a similar. You guys stayed friends. You stayed mm-hmm. in touch, and you guys were just. Were, were you thinking? Were you were you kind of thinking like we're going to be in business together? We just have to find the thing, or, yes. And then th- you were like, "What about cleaning?" Yeah. So we actually, and then we came up with a makeup idea. So we knew. So we started. We got away from clothing, and then went mm-hmm. into sort of the consumer product product right. world. And um, we were product junkies. I mean, yeah. we would. We both traveled a lot for our previous jobs, and went to, and we're finding. We actually ended up buying detergent from all over the world, just right. to, you know, ultimately as part of our research, research yeah. and um, to see for different scents and mm-hmm. and what was really going on in the market and why was everything blue and right. why you know there's a, all these materials in this that didn't make sense to us. We're like, why do you need all this? What is all this right. in the in the ingredients? And um, so that was really where we started with that that inspiration to kind of right. Well, we were also. To back up a little bit, Gwen was bringing her laundry to New Jersey to wash at her mom's house uh-huh. because we had we didn't have machines in our building. Right. We started a laundry company. Oh, you did without machines. Oh, wait. <laughs> I no, mean, we wait, started that's our. So funny. We started yeah. this line, and we were hand washing in our sinks in our tub, <laughs> like carrying it to our to our parents' right. house to that's wash amazing. it. Um and. She was washing cash or cashmere sweaters. Right. A lot of you know, being at Ralph Lauren, she right, had a lot of, of that. Course. And again, we knew that dry cleaning, you didn't have to. Right. And we were trying to save money. You know, yeah. We were, ultimately, we didn't have any money. And right. right out of college. Right. So. No, this is so funny. It's kind of the whole thing. The entire mm-hmm. business was basically bread by necessity every step of the way, which 100%. I just think is yeah. is really fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think. What I read was that it took basically two years for you guys to be like, okay, we're doing this to, okay, now we have a product. Yes. Is that about That's right? correct. And yes. you were doing research and you kept your day jobs and, Yeah. We were moonlighting on the weekends, every single holiday, during lunch hour, you know, faxes back and forth. This was before email, <laughs> really. No, before, you know, we had Blackberries, there were mm-hmm. no iPhones. Yeah. I mean, our research was done in the library. Making like copies at Staples. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. We went back to school for that. I mean, it was... You know, a different, very different time from, from and what did it you, is today. Did you have a big, did you, did you know, like how much, because you obviously ca- came with this like business background. So like I started something without thinking anything about the market. I didn't even know what the market really meant. I started mm-hmm. something without any sort of a like end exit strategic plan of any sort. <laughs> this is not the sauces. This was a cooking school. Right. Like I did not do um, any of like the real sort of like diligence that someone might want to do when they're launching a thing. So yeah. what did you do? What yeah. did you not do? And when did you decide, okay, I'm now going to quit my job? Did you already have a product? Was it selling or were you just now going to go produce stuff? Yeah. So we had a business plan. Mm-hmm. Um the thing about Gwen and I, we were really so we were self-funded. So we knew before we could take the leap, we had to really have our ducks in a row. Like right. we couldn't just we didn't have a trust fund, we didn't have anyone to lean on. We had these coveted jobs in yeah. fashion. Yeah. I mean Those really hard jobs. to get. Yeah. yeah. And but we knew this we were never getting our boss's job. And we knew mm-hmm. we needed we always had this entrepreneurial spirit and we wanted to do something on our own. So, but we needed a plan. So we did a business plan, a proper business plan, um, you know, identifying the, you know, challenging ourselves with the idea. And then we put together a list of everyone in our orbit that could possibly help us. Mm-hmm. Like friends, we've met friends, uncles and uncles of uncle. I mean, it was like anyone. Right. And we didn't say no to anyone. And right. I think that's one of the things I tell people when they're starting, like, yep. Even if you don't know why you're meeting that person, meet them. Yep, a hundred percent. Because you have no idea who what it's going to lead who, to. Right. Yep. Even if they're, I mean, we met a lawyer who was a painter on the weekends. Who it was just like we had no idea. Even he was a partner in the firm, and we had no idea why we we're meeting him. But a friend of ours told us to meet him, and it right. ended up being one of the best meetings we had. Right. So, and we'd laugh about that all the time because 
we're like, what are, who are we meeting? Right. And, <laughs> what yeah. are we doing? I'm not sure why. Yeah. So and I'll start meetings off being like, I don't remember who yeah. connected us <laughs> or what we're supposed to be talking about, but you just start and I'll probably be like, oh wait, yeah. Right. Yes, no, and idea. that's okay. And, and yeah. being a little naive is okay, yeah, you know, and, and, sure. and I think that's, we were, we were young. I mean, I don't know how it would go now starting it, like in my forties, but, mm-hmm. um, cause well, I guess that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, But so for us, um, so the business plan was really key. I think getting your ideas down um, Mm -hmm. and challenging yourself, um, but, but definitely always sticking to your gut and, and what, you know, the idea, if you're passionate about it, it'll, it'll happen. Um, Never waver from that. People are going to tell you, keep your day job. Um, You're crazy. Uh, No one's buying that idea. And people told us that. Yeah. And we said, okay, well, it's not for you, right. you know, and we just kept moving on. And right. I think that's, as long as you have your ideas down and where you're going to, and be, being able to be forward thinking with it a little bit, right. I think, um, especially now with social media and all the marketing and mm-hmm. all the competition that's around yeah. out there, being able to think about how can I be scalable? Is this right. a scalable idea or is this something that I'm just going to do? And make for it, a few yeah. years, and and, that, and that's okay. Right. I don't think no, it's you as have long as you to identify. sell to right. You know, a strategic or I don't. Right, it's it's just whatever your path is. I think you do need to think ahead. I think that's the thing. You know, if there, it doesn't have to be scalable. But the thing about like a quote unquote lifestyle business or like something where like you just make you know you make a little bit of money every year mm-hmm. and you eke out. That's fine as long as it remains like good for your lifestyle. Exactly. You know, I think some of these businesses are so hard and so taxing and emotional roller coasters that to eke out a little bit of money, if that's the big plan, there are better ways to eke out money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the working for yourself thing can be a little overrated when you're also responsible for a lot of people around you. And Absolutely. So, it you know i think in here i do end up sort of talking a lot about like i was very much sort of like mission driven and you know the big bad money people but the reality is is like this is a kind of business that to be really successful at you do need to be able to sell a lot of sauce or jam or you Definitely. know cookie cutters or laundry detergent and actually and and to what to add on to what you're saying, we got a point. In, we came to a point in our business, um, which you know, ultimately we sold last year, and that was always part of our plan. But mm-hmm. we really did hit that roadblock of okay, being self-funded. Yep. Okay, we can only get so much to take us to the next level on our own. Yep. What is the path that we need to take, and how? And and yeah. really, we got to that point where we we could no longer. We are in. Like several continents, yes, and you're exactly. In like dozens of thousands of stores, so you got, right. You got we're a global far. brand, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we can, yeah, we did go go really far, <laughs> and I and I tell people, you know, we're 16 years old, so we sold at 15 years old. Um, people do start businesses in five years and sell faster, right? Um, we were building a brand, yep, and building a brand doesn't happen overnight, right? Building a brand that's going to be around like the Chanel's and yep. the Ralph Lauren's of the world, and yep. you know, um, I could name a, a million. Yeah. Um, but that was what we wanted. Yeah. So we knew it was going to be a little slower. Take time. You know. And last question before the break: when you when you did that original business plan, were you taking on Tide and you know Downy, or were you taking on dry cleaning? Like, where were you putting your so? We were taking on dry cleaning. Right. We knew that it was really toxic, toxic, taxing, toxic, (laughs) toxic, toxic, excuse me, toxic and toxic. It was very toxic um, for you, uh, horrible for the environment, and especially bad for the clothing. Yeah. And and the best preservation for your item was actually washing it. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was all about fabric first and really getting people to understand what they're wearing, what their right. garment is made of, um, and educating them on not dry cleaning right. uh, versus going after the grocery store brands. Right. Um, 
Fun. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to hear about how you positioned yourself, how you built that brand over the last 16 years, and all of these other fun details. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed. And more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. I'm back with Lindsay Boyd, co-founder of The Laundress. Okay, so it's 2004. You've quit your jobs. You had a product or two? We had, well, we, were, we had the concept of the products, yes. Okay. <laughs> but nothing in a bottle yet. No. But you knew what you were putting in the bottle. Yes. Um, and, you, I mean, I, I'm still thinking, it's 2004, and you knew that you weren't selling your product where other products like your product were sold because you knew that it was going to be a different price point and you were never really going to be able to win next to a downy or a tide. Right. So what did you do next? (laughs) So actually, um, before I left my job, I took my first buying appointment during my lunch hour at Bergdorf Goodman. Uh-huh. Um, oh, so you started pitching it. Yes, yeah. we pitched it. The idea, basically, we had the pricing, we had images of the concept. We didn't have production. Mm-hmm. Um, we were still, you know, we were self-funded. So right. that happened after we had the orders. We right. had to know that Smart. this was going to be, right. this was a viable idea yep. for others as well. Yeah. Um, so... I made my first um, purchase order during my lunch hour. Amazing. (laughs) And your pitch was to Bergdorf, just sell it on the counter, sell it like next to the cashmere. So at the time, the store looks different now, but we were sold in, um, well, we first, the pitch was to be in the lingerie department. We wanted to be, so we focus on the delicate wash. So in department stores, it was a very unique experience because everything's divided into right. sections. So there's yeah. not one not one area where they could where right. it wasn't one buyer. It was right. several people we had to yep. work through. So at the time there was a spot in Wolford's stocking section mm-hmm. and the beauty floor. So we right. had this prime real estate. Yeah. So we were able to sh- showcase all of our products. Amazing. Um so that happened Probably after being there for a few months, we were in the lingerie department, we were with some cashmere accessories, and we were also sold in the Chanel ready-to-wear area. Right. (laughs) Probably not really allowed to be there. just like throw some (laughs) bottles over there and be like, yeah, yeah. Actually, I've been known to place (laughs) product placement in restaurant bathrooms. That's amazing. Yeah, just like ferreting (laughs) things out of your like duffel and putting them. Right, exactly. That looks good there. (laughs) Um. But it it does. I mean, it is interesting. Like, it's just so. It's kind of the way I feel like, and this is a big should. Like, things should be where like you don't make a product until you know that there's more than just you and your partner that actually think the product is a good idea. Doesn't right. necessarily mean the whole world needs to, but you do need a customer. Yes. So you got your customer. You quit your jobs, mm-hmm. and your plan was all high end. Like, find these little. Boutiques, Boutiques, basically. Yeah. And we did um, a show at the New York gift show. Okay. Um, which is where, yep. um, and Gwen was still at Ralph Lauren at the time, but we, it was, it was you know, during the weekend and a few weekdays, I think. Um, but so we, yeah, we got our first clients, a lot of our clients during that show as well, like Gracious Home, for right. instance, yep. um, a lot of local stores. And then also 
uh, we just made a list of stores yeah. and I called everybody and and um did you did did you did it come with like a basket like did, I mean you know what I mean like how yeah, do they even so know where to put it and how to we now actually we we just we set up this sort of opening buy of thirteen SKUs mm-hmm. and oh, showed how it should be merchandised. I know, and it didn't always work out, you know? right? Because <laughs> that's a lot of SKUs. It was a lot of SKUs. It yeah. was we had a very high minimum, right? <laughs> and we only took credit cards. We didn't never we didn't give term payments. Amazing. I, mean, I learned that early on from um, someone that was managing a clothing showroom, and she said to me. A friend, a, a friend of mine, she said, if you can get people to give you credit cards versus net 30 right. or net 60. Your cash is much yeah, better. Yeah, so just tell them, no, 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 credit card only, credit card only. Right. After the first you know, three or four orders, once you establish a relationship with them, then right. you can give them credit. Yes. And that was really the best advice because the few times that we did give people that, yeah. we got burned. You don't so. get paid. Well, I mean, so a lot of people think about, and just for founders like listening, like a lot of people think about that as like, getting paid or not getting paid it's it you will eventually get paid most likely the the issue is your cash flow so you just as a general rule when you're paying you want the longest terms possible like push for 60 push for 90 absolutely if you can. and when you're receiving you want the shortest terms possible because you know that you're you're putting out money to make a product and then essentially you it, to wait two months or three months to like hopefully get paid for that sale. It just puts you in a funny cash position. Right. So. It's tough. We we had to buy inventory. And, right. And then, How are you, you know, supposed to do that? And we had to pay. Right. And if we didn't have, I mean, that was always a, a struggle. So you knew that you were not selling in sort of like grocery or, or drug. You knew that you were focused on high-end boutiques. Mm-hmm. Did you think about sort of like other channels and how you wanted to to kind yeah. of like attack sales? So D2C was not as relevant yeah. at the time. Um, we did sell online. We had an order form on our website um, that people faxed in, which Amazing. is insane. So uh, you were like early <laughs> e-commerce. 100%. Yeah. Um, and, but we knew that you needed to have, we uh, actually, we really wanted a website because we wanted, when we got into the New York Times or had press, we wanted a place for to people to go, people to go yep. to learn more about the pr- yep. the product and the brand. Yep. So that we understood, and actually, in the very beginning, one of the biggest investments that we made was into PR, traditional PR. Mm-hmm. So because we knew how powerful that would be right. for our brand. Well, I think especially it goes again to you had, and I mean, and it, this is not a bad thing. It was an expensive product. Yes. It was it was at that point sort of like a luxury yeah. product. Absolutely. So it wasn't going to be the kind of thing. And I my assumption is you had plans at some point to make it a more accessible price point with scale. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for a brand that is basically relying on you know, you're not going to get your you're not going to get your word of mouth at store level probably. It's going to come from right. You know, and the that's outside. Yes, and actually a lot of how we we had to explain the price point and explain the ingredients because we are an eco brand, mm-hmm. we're highly concentrated. You only need an, an eighth of a cup, which is such a small amount. Right. Which was so not what people were used Confused, to. They were doing right. a cup, two yeah. cups. Um and also it, our brand was a lot about in the beginning it still is, but a lot about education. Mm-hmm. So getting people to understand sort of the 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 how to piece of it right and you know not just about we weren't just about you know grabbing a product on the mm-hmm. grocery store shelf it was about okay why you need the delicate wash why you need right. the woolen cashmere shampoo and how to use it right. um, it's so funny because um, you know as I said to you before we came in like if you think about all of it right like I I think I don't remember what year it was but I remember like a J Crew brands we love thing, and it was you, mm-hmm. and I, that was I think the first brand partnership I had ever seen. I didn't know even what that was, but yeah. it was early. We were one of the first yeah. third um, brand partnerships in that whole. Oh, I can't now. I'm blanking on what they call it at J Crew, but we were one of the first right. people. I mean, yeah, it wasn't even a thing, right? You know, and so that was early. It, to what you know, what they call now like content commerce which is just like a very fancy way of saying like 
selling things with, you know, content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? It's right. But in a way, again, it was born of necessity because you were telling a story. Everyone talks about storytelling, storytelling, and like building community. And huh. But you were telling a story because you kind of had to, yeah. right? Because people didn't know exactly what to do with it, which I can relate to very easily with the sauce. Right. Um, but I think also in a way, like you were early on the eco thing too. Like you were, you know, now there are all these like amazing innovative companies that are like, mm-hmm. we're taking all the water out as if that's, you know, that's what we groundbreaking, I mean, but you did that in 2004. Yes. yes. Right. So yeah. I just like, I like this whole, this is my thesis. Yeah. <laughs> you actually started the world. Okay. So, um, one of the things that also I heard you talk about is like, okay, it wasn't exactly like D to C the way we think about it, but you were early to have a website. You were selling through that website. It mm-hmm. was a place for people to land, but most importantly for you, it was really connecting with the people that got the product and understood the product and liked the product. And yeah. one of the things I've heard you say is that those, your whole mantra kind of throughout the whole 15, 16 years has been not to try to reach new people all the time, mm-hmm. but to really focus in on the people that already know you yes. and love you. And mm-hmm. I think that's really good advice and very hard mm-hmm. to stick It is to. very hard. Um, we've, I like get chills when you say that for some reason, because oh. it's, it's like my, that's one of the things that I've worked very hard at yeah. from a sales perspective, because during around 2008, 2009, a lot of the stores were closing. Yep. A lot of our original clients, yeah. the smaller boutiques. And um, at that time, we were doing the shows and there were no new customers to get. And so we right. kind of had to pivot a little. We were global very early on. We were in Europe very early. Um, Asia makes Asia a lot of sense. Asia as well. Yeah. We were in uh, Tokyo very early and Hong Kong which was incredible for us because we learned a lot um, mm-hmm. very quickly uh, and uh, about our brand and about the different markets. So that was something that we are very fortunate. I always say we're like an octopus because we had um, lots of... Yeah, you weren't we all were in a lot of spot. different places. And yep. I think that's uh, really, really, really important for yeah. brands. Um, and, and for people starting businesses, you can't just focus, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, it's, right. it's real. What um, they call omni-channel it, now. Right. right. Well, it's so much more complicated <laughs> right. than omni-channel, right? It's not just exactly. It's because um, it's everything. It's it's marketing, D2C. It's, you know, retail. It's wholesale. Um, but for us, it was, so now I'm like speaking about how we were octopus, but we, um, I lost my train of thought. So, the Adidas, I can't remember well, now. Tell me again. It'll, it'll come Sorry. back. Sorry. No. <laughs> no, it'll come back because I actually, there was something that you just said in there that might trigger it. But yeah. you also were early in wanting your own stores. Yes. Which for yes. a laundry detergent was <laughs> is an unusual move. I mean, it's just, but if you think about today, people talking about like pop-ups and experiential retail. I mean, now it's so yeah. funny. There's a word for everything that you did. Yes. Um, but why? So what, the, yeah, yeah. The retail piece of it, having our own stores. We actually started out where we wanted to have a store first and do a service, right? Um, but then we thought, okay, service is not. We're not in the service business. No. We can't do we, it. We don't not, know anything yeah. about service. What are we doing? Um, Talk about scalable. <laughs> I mean, that's not easy to scale. No. Yeah, it's very difficult. Right. And so our store is very new it's about 5 it's 5 years old right. now um and we do want to the retail experience was important to us because we wanted a place where you could see everything because, right like you said 13 SKUs is a lot not yeah. all of the boutiques could hold right. our entire collection um we do have stores now like the container store in Bloomingdale's where they right. have a huge display and that's great but early on right. people were like oh we can only take 6 SKUs right. or so yeah, it's, what were the 13? I mean, just sorry to thir- go back to that. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't have that many different types of We have fabrics. over 65 products in our line. Well, but we have, some of them, I'm sure, are the same product with different scents. We have, no, no, we have a lot of, um, we have a whole line of accessories and right. sort of lifestyle category. Right. For, so not just, and then home cleaning as well. Right. 
um, which actually I brought some for you today oh, yes. to try. Thank you. I'm excited. Um, and but actually, the 13 SKUs are are still today the top selling right. products for us. Amazing. So, it, but that was all detergents. We the right. home cleaning line is happened later right. on. What you got chills about? Yes. Yeah, so was, back to yeah. the back to the the clients. So a lot of those clients were were closing, and I thought, okay, there's no new business for us. How are we going to, you know, what's what's the next step? Right. What are we, how are we? Because the wholesale world is very very important to a brand starting, and it, and it's still important to us today. Yep. Um, because that's the exposure. Yep. The you know. There's a convenience too for your customers if you're in there where close to where they yeah. live. I mean, and I think you know, and I've said this a few times, so listeners know that I feel strongly about this. I think that there was a moment where a lot of brands thought they could circumvent the wholesale mm-hmm. business and they could just do D to C, and I think that they're kind of coming up on the reality that it's not that easy to do that, and at some point, you're you're going to hit a wall that way. People want you where they want you, wherever that is. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, I mean, yes, a lot of things are moving online, but the vast majority, like, the, like I don't remember the exact you know number, but people still buy things in stores. You know? Yeah, and people like the experience. You of know? smelling they, it. They want to yeah. smell it. And, and for a product like ours, you want to see it see how it's being used. Right. Like in our stores, we actually, yeah. you can come in and bring a stain if you have it and, yeah. and, and you can try the sweater comb right. and you can smell and touch and feel and it just, it's a tactile experience. You don't... That was I mean, kind of like very early experiential retail. Yes. Like I don't know who else was doing that in 2014. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I actually yeah. always say like we did it in reverse. Like we, like yeah. we have this experience you have that, such like, a cool experience. Represents, but now, like the brand, people will come hopefully to Havens to like know where their sauce came from, as opposed to well, you were you know, early in your experience too. So yeah, I just we were just teaching was, people how to cook. Like I didn't even think of it as like I didn't think we were selling anything. Right. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. now we're selling a product, but yeah. I mean, we were. Oh, I'm confused about <laughs> all of it. Okay. So Amazon, yes. let's talk about Amazon. Um, so uh, the way I always kind of divide up like sales channels into a pie. Okay. So you had wholesale was the big chunk. Yeah. Then you had your e-commerce, which I imagine became more than faxing a, um, yes. Uh, a, um, a our D2C <laughs> business is, 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 there is one of the biggest growth channels right. for us Interesting. now. So. And then there's uh, Amazon. Yeah. And then I would imagine, oh, there's your own little retail, which is- We have three, right. so it's still growing. We plan on opening additional right. locations. Yeah. Um, am I missing anything? Well, international distribution. Right. Okay. Um, we work with different distributors. Okay. Which is a whole nother, I mean- Yeah. D- a whole nother beast. Yeah. I don't, I would I can't even my brain can't go there. So Amazon, how did you make sure that they because when you have a more expensive price point or like you know, I don't know what we call it that it, what do you call it? Not exp- I mean, do do we say expensive or do we say like value blah, um, blah, blah. Uh, we uh, you know, we don't really talk about the price, which is kind of interesting right. because we talk more about we speak more about how it's better for your our customers want things that are better for them and better for their clothing right and when they see the results and hear about the ingredients yep and then they have that sort of how to right. or you know recipe since yep. since you know about, since we're talking about food, <laughs> food and sauces right. exactly but um <laughs> we really did do our how to's very similar to recipes in right. the beginning um that's what people care about right. Then they they, see the they forget they, they sometimes we get how much you know price per load and it's right. really not that much more right per load right to a regular grocery store brand but on Amazon uh, didn't they did so they the have price a, for right. Amazon so we were really early on as mm-hmm. a um, vendor on Amazon so we were so they do so it's different how it works now but we're they send us purchase orders but a lot of people Got have it. shops right on Amazon and they. It's, they it's just fulfill. different. Yeah, right. they just fulfill. So um, 
we were able to stabilize the pricing from the very beginning. So it didn't um, compete with your own right. or they, other We weren't stores. undercutting. I mean, aside right. from the prime membership, and there right. are cost savings, but it's not to the point where it's 50% off or right. something that hurts our brand and our other... Are you in any grocery stores? We are not. No. It's so funny, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. what about drugstores? No. Mm-mm. All specialty stores. Isn't that the, the container stores are most right. mass store that we're in. Is that part of the Unilever nope, plan? Essentially, potentially, oh, for, like to be possibly in, right. like a Whole Foods or right. places like that. Absolutely, I would even think a Target or something. No, interesting. So interesting. <laughs> okay. So speaking of that, never say never, and the price point <laughs> and all of it. Like, how did you? You know how you 2008 happened. Like, yes, as you said, you lost some customers. Yes, basically people stopped spending money at all. Right, you thrived through that period. So how you must have done something where you shifted the optics away from this is luxury and only for special special, and got people to understand that there was value there, and that there was something more to it than just like beautiful people with beautiful right. clothing. We so did. How did you we do that? we did a lot of so we had to pivot obviously and we looked at our key stores that were doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and how are we going to grow get them more product, grow more, you know, grow with them. Yep. And fo- we focused on sort of like I don't know the top 50 or something yeah. like that. Um, and a lot of what we do that is, is so different still today from other consumer product goods is that, or especially in the cleaning space, is that we do a tremendous amount of training and in-store demos. Mm-hmm. So I really just loaded up on which customer facing. Yes, yeah. 100%. Um, customer, I knew how important it was to get in front of the customer and to show them how the product worked and why they needed it. And that was it. I mean, it was that easy. Obviously, not right. easy in the sense where that meant a lot of travel expenses on the road, a right. lot of time taken, but it was so invaluable. It was so right. worth it now thinking back. And it makes so much sense. I remember speaking to someone whose job basically has been to come in and be the CFO in companies that were great and that aren't doing great. And I was like, well, that's kind of a fun job and also sort of like a little bit mm. intense and kind of depressing. But And she was like, actually, it's the most fun job. And I was like, well, what? where do you even start? And she was like, you always go back to the core business. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is brands get or companies get, they get success, like successful. Then they're like, you know what? We're going to also launch this thing. And we're going to also do this thing. And we're going to go here. And we're going to go there. And we're going to open the... And then the 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 reason why they were so great just kind of gets lost. Yeah. So basically what you did was you, you know, you like went regrouped. Back to basics. You went yeah. back to basics. You found who was doing your best stuff and you just like went double down on them. Yeah. Which arguably we should all be doing anyway. Like right. We should be doing every day that um, to make sure that we don't run into a problem at some point. Right. And, and. Absolutely, but the reality, right? When you're running a small business, you can't do no. Can't be everywhere. You can't be everything to, for everyone, right. you know. And and now that we have a team of 27, and we work with consultants and distributors, we're able to do both, and it's amazing because you know we our original customers are so important to us, right? And they. They remain, they'll always be important yeah. to us. And so we constantly support them while and growing the business, while getting new right. customers. So those customers are the stores. Yes. They're not the people. Yeah, sorry. When I'm speaking no, about no, customers, no, no, they're... No, totally fine. Yeah. Um, how would you say you support them? I mean, what is it like other than like being in the stores and doing the demos and, and helping them sell your product, which is arguably a lot of support, what else do you do with them so that we, shows them that? We check in with them probably once a quarter, right? Um, some more than others, depending on their needs and, and the size of the business. But checking in with them, finding out what's selling, what's not selling. 
offering to take things back if it's not selling, mm -hmm. uh, um, giving them new ways of, you know, helping them with whatever they're doing, you know, find out what they're doing and how they're presenting the product, offer events um, mm -hmm. to stir interest. Right. And we also do a lot on our end to support our stores. Right. So we do things like things we love. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people do that now, but no one did that when yeah. we started it. So we have a people we love, which I'd love to have you featured in. That would be great. I would um, love to be loved. So <laughs> our, our things we love is something where, you know, we are a lifestyle brand. So a lot of people want to know what we're eating and what, you know, right. yeah. what, what recipe we love or what... Um, what book we're reading yeah, and things totally. like that. So that's when we can draw in. So we speak a lot to our our stores as right. well as other partner brands, which right. we do a lot of. Um, Could like, we make like a a sauce that stains yeah. your clothes <laughs> that is sold with a yeah a that gets it out. We could do I feel a little like harissa. Actually, our new skew is kind of stainy. Yeah. We could do mm. a little sauce demo in Actually, our store. That would be really fun. Like yeah. squeeze the a sauce tasting, onto a and then uh, yeah. remove the sauce. Okay, yeah. we're definitely doing that. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk for a second about lifestyle brand because a I don't I don't know that there was such a thing back then. I feel like again you were kind of ahead of your time. But also, it's interesting that Unilever would buy a lifestyle mm. brand because the kind of rule on the street is that they're not looking for platforms, they're looking for products. And that something, so aside from all of this amazing stuff, mm -hmm. they clearly saw something. How did that, did, did they call you one day and they're like, hey, you are looking good to us. Yeah. Like how, like, or, you know, how did so that So we happen? had actually three different strategics contact us around the same time. So, um, I, you know, we're 15 years old, I guess right. they figured they've been watching us yeah. and, and under, you know, they have enough experience in this right. to know. And you never size. raised any outside money. No, we had, we got an, we had loans. Yeah, of but, course. Yeah, Great. of course. But, um, Amazing. No. So, so we, yeah, we were, we did do something early on. We had a soap splash, which I love telling people. We um, invited a, a bunch. So, <laughs> it's called the soap splash. It was just a play on detergent right. and soap. But um, we had a friend that don't basically donated his restaurant to us. And um, I think we, we, we paid a small fee for like, dishwashing or right. food or something mm -hmm. really nominal. Um, we invited every single person we knew, ex-boyfriends from like <laughs> several right. exes right. down the road. They all showed up. Well. Um, lots of... <clears throat> I mean, you're cute. I yeah, I mean, <laughs> we were still young. Or <laughs> they thought maybe a second time around. Right, exactly. Um, we had lots, all family and friends and, fa you know, friends of family. Right came and we took donations and we said we served our idea right <laughs> and they and we had a couple of friends at the door saying what would you like to donate for Gwen and Lindsay's right um company you were basically like uh, crowdfunding before yeah, that was a thing exactly right. so funny. and yeah and so we I think we have your book I actually think we just like this is the outline. I think that your timeline's pretty good. Yeah. I, well, I, I think also just very like impressed. we can just call it like ahead of their time yes. or something very, you know. Yeah. I'm not good at titles. But I feel like again, I can go, come up with a title. Okay, you come up with a title, but these are the chapters. These are all the things that you did. Yes. When there was no Instagram and yes. there was no, I mean, it, there was We no, had to be really creative. Yeah. We were super creative and Nothing, and I also think, well, we had to be creative, right? We didn't have there was, was it. there was nothing yeah. to lean on, so yeah. we we used our collat like my Chanel jackets as collateral right. to get a loan, you know, things like that. Amazing. We had our four hundred one ks that we, you know, yeah. used as yeah. an a an asset. We used we had really good um, credit, so we were able to get a lot of credit cards right. to use for the business. And just quickly back to Unilever. Mm -hmm. They, you had three companies, they were all yeah. interested. Yes. Um, and it was because they were looking for... All different reasons. Right. Not everybody, not all the same. Um, I, Unilever was the perfect partner for us yeah. because 
their strength and understanding and passion for sustainability yep. is and really soap. ahead of its time too. Yeah. And soap <laughs> and um, and seventh generation being yeah. in you know our you know in our family now, yep. which is incredible because Gwen and I really look to them a lot. Yep. Um, for not for branding, but for sustainability and ingredients and efficacy. Yeah, it was sure. Like they were the best. Yep. They are the best. Um, and we, so it, it made sense, you know, for, for them to partner with us and for us to partner with them. Right. It was the perfect marriage. Our brand is all about, especially in fashion sustainability and, yep. and, um, understanding that, you know, the movement towards, yep, better for the reusing yep. and not wasting less fat, fast, fast fashion. Right. And that, that added to their right. portfolio. Amazing. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you have a best moment? I know there were many, <laughs> and this is always hard. Either. Okay, I'm going to give you a choice. Okay. Last question. Okay. Either best moment, uh -huh. like something you just remember being like, okay, this is awesome, or mm -hmm. advice that you wish you had gotten that you didn't get, or that you did get. Best advice. Okay. Best moment. Um, that's hard question. I for advice. I mean, I I guess I'll best. What? Which one do you want me to answer? Either one, whatever you want. <laughs> Matt's giving me the stink eyes. So. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, advice for others. I I really think just get your idea down and stick to your gut instincts and and don't waver from it. Yeah. And it's okay to take a meeting and walk away and be like, I want nothing to do with whatever they just said yeah. you know? and, yep. and still feel good about it, you yeah. know? And I think, and don't be afraid to share your idea with people Yep. because they're not looking to take your idea right. and it's your idea. Yeah. So they can't take it. Yep. Totally. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Lindsay, this was so much fun. <laughs> Thanks, Allison. I'll give you all my notes. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll write your book if Perfect. you want. Okay, I love great. that. Good. We're done. And I'll eat your and sauce. And we'll have a sauce and party we'll a sauce and then party. clean the stains. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for being thank here. You. Thank you for coming on. And everyone, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.